something tells me that there's a Disney animated film review in our future. Hello there and welcome to Magic by Design. Whether you're an old friend of the show or listening for the first time, thanks so much for tuning in. You're in for a good time, we guarantee it. Do we? My name is Ken. Don't be so cynical. All right. If if you don't have a good time, you can eventually when we invent time travel. Come back to this moment. I'll tell you the time. It's 4.28pm Irish time on Sunday the 21st of March. Come back to this very time. Knock on our window and be like, hey guys, I'm not going to tell you where I live. You have to work that bit out. Uh, I'm not going to give that out on the podcast. I'd be like, hey guys, podcast wasn't very good and I didn't enjoy it. And you said, you I, you guaranteed I'd enjoy it. Can you make it better? And we'll make it better. Um, Wait. No, no one's knocked on the window. Thereby, this proves time travel existing. Actually, no, it doesn't, because like in theory, it just might not exist for our listeners. But in theory, that disproves time travel. Or we just had a great podcast, so it doesn't disprove time travel. We just had a great podcast. Never mind. It's that one. That's, yes. Well, I guess there's no need to introduce you this week. You introduced yourself, Gar. Yeah, but like that is the theory that you can instantly disprove whether time travel will be invented in your lifetime by saying simply, I will time travel back to this moment right now and tell myself that time travel exists and nothing. So time travel isn't invented in my lifetime, at least not commercially available. Yeah, it could be available, but you're just not rich enough to travel. It's like it's like everything, like the rich people get it first. Or it's just as likely that I've, by the time time travel is invented by when I'm like 62, I've just forgotten about this promise to travel back to a podcast when I'm 28 and be like, hey, remember when you said to, to tell you about time travel? Uh, hey, I'm going home now. Sorry. <laughs> but you're usually pretty good for holding a grudge care. So yeah, I'm surprised you didn't remember. Mm. Wait. No, still nothing. No, it's now uh, 4.29, so we've gone past the minute in which we told people to travel back to, and nobody travelled back. So time travel debunked. The future is bright this week as we review Disney's 47th animated feature, Meet the Robinsons, first release in 2007. That's in the past. Mm -hmm. We should travel back in time when we get a time machine and watch these films in the theatre and see the earnest reaction of the audiences to these films, though based on how much money this film made, it probably wasn't a very big audience. Yes, we had a chance to see it in the cinema and we didn't. I don't even remember this film coming out. I don't even like remember like, you know, the time where we would be like, oh, Meet the Robinsons is out. Do you want to go see that? And I'd be like, nah, because what, I would have been 14 when this film came out? 15? I would have been like 18 so maybe past my peak period at this point no 14 it would have been before I so you would have only been 17 yeah I don't remember this film I never had any urge to watch this film yeah. I think it might be the 3D animation maybe like the, the 3D animation of Disney that era put me off for a while because we know they got their stuff together in the end but like that was a, an early period where I'm like nah that's not for me clearly I was a DreamWorks kid I was like I'm gonna see Shrek those are real or Shrek the third or Shrek for Shrek Forever After, that's what it's called. I feel like we probably rag too much on DreamWorks, even because like DreamWorks, are making, like Shrek is a good film. They're making bank during this period, Gary. Yeah, they're they're rolling out these films. They're rolling out Ants. I've, actually, of the DreamWorks films, I've never seen Ants. I've never seen Prince of Egypt. I've never seen Road to El Dorado. I've never seen Chicken Run. I've never seen Spirit Stallion of Cimarron. I've never seen Sinbad. I've seen Shrek. I've seen Chartel. I've seen Madagascar. I've never seen Walls and Gromit. I think I've seen Over the Hedge. I think so. So that's most of them you haven't seen. Now. Yeah, I haven't seen Flushed Away. I haven't seen B-Movie. I've seen Kung Fu Panda. I don't think I've seen Monsters vs. Aliens. I've seen How to Train Your Dragon because it's their best movie. I might have seen Megamind. Did we see Megamind in the cinema? Yes, I have anyway. I've, I have vague memories of seeing Megamind in the cinema, but I don't remember it. Uh, Rise of the Guardians is a film I actually quite like. The Croods, I haven't seen. Turbo, haven't seen. Peabody and Sherman, it's fine. All the Madagascar spinoffs, all the Kung Fu Panda spinoffs. Trolls, I didn't know. Uh, why is that say, say, oh, it was like co-release was it anyway 
There we go. That's when we eventually run out of all the Disney things to watch, we will go through the DreamWorks animated productions <laughs> list. And we'll call it How the DreamWorks. Yeah, there you go. There we are a sub-series within Magic by Design. Originally named A Day with Wilbur Robinson, production began in June 2004 and was scheduled for a 2006 release, which they didn't meet. During the film's production, Walt Disney Animation Studios storyboard artist Stephen Anderson decided to direct the film due to his personal connection to Lewis having also been adopted. Oh, so I thought he meant he also invented time travel or he was an inventor. Or maybe he did. It's funny, it's based on the book. Which apparently has no time travel. nothing to do with it. Like, apparently the scene in the middle of the film where Lewis is meeting the family. The whole story of the book is that he meets this wacky family and they go on a journey to find Grandpa's teeth. That's yes. basically it. So, Which is kind of in there for yeah. like 10 minutes in the middle of the film. And then they've built all this other time travel nonsense on top of it. It's, yeah. it's funny to be like, it's based on this book when it's, it's kind of not. It's loosely inspired by this book. It has the characters and one of the plot points. Meet the Robinsons was released in March 2007 to generally positive reviews from critics. They noted that the film was marked by a story of considerable depth, a snappy plot and impressive visuals. Um, visuals, I'd maybe push back a little. I think this film looks fine, but I don't think it looks... It's definitely an improvement from Chicken Little. Well, it's more imaginative than Chicken Little. So, like, Chicken Little is just chickens in an urban environment. And fair enough, there's aliens, but aliens are stupid. Whereas this is, like, it has the whole, like, futurescape to work with. So it can be more imaginative with its visuals than I think Chicken Little's Here's Some Houses and a baseball field. Even though both have baseball fields. That's the tie between. It's it's a a shared universe, Karen. This is the, the... The baseball... Duology. Yeah. Is duology award for two films? I don't even know. I've just made it up. I think, yeah, I think this is a good film. I think. Actually, no, I have to go straight on to a rant again. One, one of, I, it's been a while since I've said the villain is right. You know, it's been a while since, I think I've done, I haven't done it since Corella de Ville. Goob, perfectly in his right in this film. Yeah. Because Goob has his life ruined by this dopey inventor kid. It ruins his big baseball day. The kid doesn't get adopted. He's left in the orphanage when the orphanage closes. He has every right to try and go and ruin Lewis's life. And fair enough, he becomes a co-opted plan with an evil hat. But still, Goob, in the right. He should. Lewis should apologise. Lewis is the bad guy in this film. You think, though, when he stole the time machine, he would just go back and... Make sure he makes the catch. No, that's not revenge, Ken. That just fixes his life. As, as he says in the film, how can he take accountability when he can just blame somebody else for all of his mistakes instead? Yeah, that line landed quite heavily for me as a millennial, you might say. So instead of Goob just going back and being like, hey, Goob, catch that baseball. And Goob catches the baseball and his life changes. Goob is just like, I'm going to ruin this other kid's life for ruining mine. That's the kind of retribution. And like, you know, the scene where he meets his younger self and he's like, no, don't you give in to them. You bottle this up. You were remember it and you use it for retribution because uh, young goo was like oh maybe i should just let this go he's like no it will fuel you to great and horrible things you yeah. mentioned there Gar, this film was a box office bomb mm-hmm. i'm quite surprised because I, I me too i also like it you know based on an estimated budget of 150 million that's 190 million in 2021 it made just over 169 million which is 214 million so slightly flop. made its production money back but obviously between marketing and promotion and all that shit i did lost money um and like disney making their production budget back is not the the bar disney sets for any of these films no 
it's it's one of those films that reminds me a lot of you know the likes of atlantis and the likes of the black cauldron it's not quite in that world but it's still that kind of like this is more a young boy leaning film and more young boy leaning films tend to not do well with these disney audiences at least during this year it's very Mm -hmm. interesting that these films that like are obviously geared more towards boys than girls don't tend to do as well yeah it makes sense in a way because they're less merchandisable you know they don't tend to stand the test of time like these other films do now there's notable exceptions like the lion king but there, even then there's something for the girls in well, there. lion king is is gen- gender ambivalent really is that yeah. ambivalent the word i'm looking for that's what i'm saying there's something for everyone in that one but. yeah whereas like you know obviously the princess movies are aimed at girls and the adventure movies are aimed at boys to horribly generalize and the the, the adventure movies don't tend to do nearly as well as the princess movies so it probably tells you something yeah. and like i don't like lewis's character design maybe that maybe that's it maybe people just looked at lewis and they're like nah I can see why nobody adopted him. Dopey looking kid. You mentioned the look of this film. The studio planned to adopt the author style, so the author did the visuals and wrote the book. But his involvement stylistically in Blue Sky Studios' robots meant the style was slightly reworked. Um, I would have liked to see what that would have looked like, because I really liked the art style in the book. Did you get a chance to have a look at it? I've seen the cover of the book and I don't like it. So. <laughs> yeah, it's really weird, and I like that kind of weird art. Um, it's still a took cues though from his retro style influenced by everything from technicolor movies to 1940s architectural design and the crew also took some inspiration from uh, the company apple i don't know if you've heard of it <sighs> but I, I i did get that a sense of the aesthetic you talk about all the futurescape it's a vision of the future but with a retro style look it's very much what the vision of the future was in the 1960s yeah like it, it's very much what the jetsons future would have looked like if they had the technology to render it like that it would probably look exactly like this with these retro bright colored buildings the round shapes and all these futuristic the bubbles there's a weird obsession with bubbles in the future apparently everything can, happens in bubbles you can travel by bubble which seems dreadfully unsafe like large gust of wind you know what if it starts hail what hail can it must be the most catastrophic event in this world of bubbles well i imagine these are super strong bubbles and they're also sentient perhaps <laughs> it would be very funny if just like another five people died today in a hailstorm when their bubbles popped midair and they plummeted to their doom or when they collided with a, a flock of seagulls or something like that there is great debate now about whether bubbles are actually the correct form of transport for people and whether or not we could conceptually come up with something safer bubbles <laughs> have now killed more people than cars for the first time <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, hey, birds, flock of birds, nah. Now, you noted there the character to design guard. The animation crew had the challenge of animating CG humans. This is the first time they've done this in the 3D medium. They bought Pixar at this stage. There's there's no excuse. Yeah. They, this, they, this is post-Pixar purchase for the first time. Well, actually, in the midst of the Pixar purchase when it was in production, they took inspiration from Pixar's The Incredibles when animating the characters. That makes a lot of sense when I read that, actually. But I think you touched on something there with Lewis because a lot of the characters are quite analogous to the kind of style we see today. And there's a great range of expression and, and, and the motion was a lot better from Chicken Little. But Lewis, his face was a bit of a blank slate. I, I didn't mm. read much off of him. And like the, the whole Robinson's family, the idea is they all look very weird and different. And I don't like most of them. <laughs> I like Wilbur. I think Wilbur is a good character design. Yeah. The rest of them I'm very indifferent towards or actively dislike. And the uncle who is basically a giant baby reminds me of the characters from Wally. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah, very much so. It's uh, very much the fat guys sitting in their chairs. It's also said that they took inspiration from Disney classics like 
Alice in Wonderland, Cinderella, and Peter Pan, as well as Warner Brothers cartoons of the 1950s to capture that aesthetic. I, I didn't really notice that. I Well, I took one note during this entire film, and it was very Alice in Wonderland. Did you not get the Alice in Wonderland vibe from when they were... I, I've, I'm doing it again, by the way, going back to the Alice in Wonderland episode where I've year between Wonderland and Wonderland. Sorry. <laughs> Go back and listen to that if you haven't already. That's, that's just a deep callback to our podcast lore, not me being horribly indecisive about how I say words. Uh, that, that whole house sequence is so Alice in Wonderland. Wonderland, where they're like bouncing between all these like surreal moments and these surreal characters doing things that don't really make sense and there's frogs that sing all of that can, is can just... you see my mind blowing at this moment because as soon as you said that i'm like oh yeah it's like you can it's, see it yeah. it's right out of alice in wonderland but I, I do think the character design is much more interesting i do think the movement is more dynamic and natural also the art style matches the offbeat style of the children's book which i liked and i really liked the design of the time machine i, I thought that was quite cool also both of them that there's like the the yeah. old timey and then there's the more sleek version which I think is how it would work, isn't it? As I said, I don't think the visuals are anything groundbreaking, but in terms of the character design and the backgrounds and the elements and just the general feel and movement, you can see that they're already starting to get to grips with the, the new technology. And it's it's one of those things where if you actually study the backgrounds in, de- in depth, you'll realise it's like, oh, there's no detail there. You know, it's just yeah. like, they're very clean backgrounds, maybe one or two objects in the background, but otherwise they're very simple. They look fine. But very graphical. Yeah, but there's there's no detail, no like uh, real like depth to them. They're just perfectly functional, pleasant looking backgrounds. Whereas in Seoul, you see the oxygen molecules in the clouds. Yeah, and, Seoul yeah. is upsettingly pretty. By the time they get to Seoul, it's just like, how can you render this world in such detail and such clarity? And like Seoul is the first time I'm like, you know what? You could probably make this look real if you really tried to. Yeah, and, and I'd be like, I'd believe it. Does that defeat the purpose? I think it does for me. Um, to a degree, but also it looks very pretty, so... And, like, the one thing I worry about is those kind of caricature-style characters blending with that realistic background, which didn't bump on me with Soul, so I think there's a line, but eventually you're just making live-action movies, but just with a computer, so that that's where I think the art is lost. You see, I, I don't think that's going to happen in the field of animation, because simply, the, the wonders of the world of animation is you can make a film like Meet the Robinsons that has dinosaurs and time travel and all these wacky characters, and you can, like untether yourself from reality because you have the method the, the, the means of animation you can create these whole worlds that you just can't do in live action i'm more interested actually to see does live action become less tangible and less physical as we we are able to render like distinct environments with the computer so you don't actually have to bring people there and film them it'll be similar to how like the shift between 2d and 3d basically happened because 3d became cheaper in the end will it become cheaper in the end increasingly just not to film anything on set not to film anything on location you can just do it all with a computer and it'll look more or less the same and then like you lose that like tactile tangibility of all of these things so i'm actually more worried about whether a live action will move toward the realms of animation than animation moving toward the realms of live action. I think if you're going down that rabbit hole eventually you could just replace actors mm, you probably could again we've discussed this that like in in a hundred years time that you could probably just put i would like a film with tom hanks playing a romantic lead against um emma stone and and, and you know these actors in their primes not with a weird age difference uh put it together and like an ai will probably be able to construct this tom hanks rom-com for you and it'll be this procedurally generated distinct unique film and that kind of like post art world is kind of terrifying but also kind of fascinating because at the end of the day it'll probably be able to make films better than we would ever have made faster and 
isn't that what we want? You can make your own entertainment. I, th- I legitimately, I think that's where we'll get no contracts, no storming offset. You'll have mm-hmm. none of that stuff. Like you know, where it's like we we think of works of art falling into the public domain of, out of copyright. There's going to be probably this weird thing about like likenesses of people, and it's like, well, we can just use actors who've been dead for a hundred years and do whatever the hell we want with them. Yeah, and have you seen those recent deep fakes? I know it's like a thing on the internet, but you know, have you seen the Tom Cruise ones, for example? Mm. They're they're close Fright- enough, they're, aren't they're they? They're frightening. They're, they're too close. So yeah, I, I, it's going to be very weird in a hundred years. Entertainment is going to be a very strange thing. And like asking people to, to, to spend like, because like corporations are deeply cynical and will always do it. Like whatever the path of least resistance to making most money is, will be the path they take. And if that path of least resistance is not asking a Russo brothers or a Martin Scorsese to use the two diametrically opposed at war forces in the world of our culture to go and spend a hundred and two hundred million dollars to make a movie instead they can spend 20 million dollars for this ai to put together a movie that people won't know the difference and will still go and see that's what they're gonna do so yeah of course they are so I think, how do we even get onto this i don't know i think we're locked in our houses and we're afraid of everything at the moment so technology is, is another thing that's being added to the heap of anxieties in my life yeah and like we're seeing it kind of in video games with the the art like the procedural generation is increasingly a thing and i don't particularly like it most of the time because it does feel random you prefer the sense of design but that sense of design will come in time like this ai will get smart enough and machine learning will advance far enough that it will understand a sense of design and be able to like implement designed procedural generation which is terrifying and then if you go further than that car eventually eventually they'll seek equal rights much like people of color did in the 60s in the US and they'll seek that's a very weird tangent Ken they'll seek pay what I'm saying is like you know there'll be a a movement for AI or androids for their own civil rights campaign because they have a a consciousness and they want to be treated like everyone else and then they'll want to be paid and then they'll just (laughs) That's how that, that's how it's going to go, guy. That's how we all. Predict <laughs> well, we all go. know it's going to go Skynet, or they're going to enslave us. But that's that's a down the line altogether. Hopefully, they'll make us some sweet movies before they enslave us. Anyway, Gar, I'm just going to get my grappling hook to pull us out of this rabbit hole. <laughs> oh, the one you sent us, Dan. As you noted, Gar, Meet the Robinsons is loosely based on the 1990 children's book A Day with Wilbur Robinson by William Joyce. It's funny that you mentioned Rise of the Guardians. He wrote a series of books that that is based on, and he's also been involved in a lot of other children's films. You just said I robot is that a different film than i robot, I robot is the action film robots is the, the sky film. film yeah which one is will smith then i robot okay <laughs> uh, he's also involved in it's toy confusing. story and a bug's life well there so you go he goes between illustrating and writing children's books and working on animated films he also worked on some live action ones like uh what's his name mr Megorium's magic emporium do you remember we went to see that in the cinema no it i has don't dustin hoffman in it not at all anyway while the film was in production, the Walt Disney Company announced in January 06 that they would be acquiring Pixar. As we know, John Lasseter became the chief creative officer of both Pixar and Walt Disney Animation Studios. When he saw an early screening of the movie, he told director Anderson that he did not think the villain was scary or threatening enough and suggested that he make some changes. Ten months later, almost 60% of the film had been scrapped and replaced and the villain had been improved and given a new sidekick who eventually, as we know, plays a bigger role. A dinosaur chase was added and the ending was change so it lends credence to your theory that disney had to buy pixar to get their mojo back and mm. they basically pixarized this movie well uh, one of his criticisms that the the villain isn't evil enough the villain isn't evil in this film like goob yeah. isn't evil at all that's the kind of the point he's one of those blothering idiot yeah. villains who's like the hat is the villain of the film yeah and the joke the whole time is that every time he talks about his plan or his reasons for doing it although they are justified they are ridiculous because he's like you're an adult you should have 
gotten yeah. over by this by now and moved on with your life. But that's the joke. And that's actually what it's uh, pastiching as such. Yeah, and then Doris is the actual evil mastermind behind it all. I think that's genius because he thought he was using Doris. And the thing is, they subtly teased that. I don't like, even think they teased it. It's very clear through the entire film who's leading who in this. Initially, I thought Doris was being played for comedy because she had some of the better gags, despite the fact that she doesn't talk. And then eventually I was like, oh, she's actually running this show. Yeah. Uh, and it turns out that she's an invention of... Lewis in the future. Yeah, and Lewis abandoned her because she only tried to take over the world immediately, which is, you know... And basically, this film, as we tie it back to machines gaining sentience and trying to enslave us all, that's basically the plot of this film, so... And, uh, like, in the end, like, they have a bit of a tussle, but he just defeats her by wishing her out of existence, basically. Which is quite good. I'm just never going to invent you. And away she goes. She's like, I, I love the way she stops for a second and goes, shit. Yeah. And then just gets, like, I have to beat myself for the first time. And gets, she got snaptured, care. Yeah. And Lewis, magical power is time travel, where you can just say, yeah. I'm just not going to do this. And it changes the course of history. Just by him resolving in his mind. And then, does that mean that we're all connected, Gar, in some kind of hive mind? What do you mean? Because obviously you doing something like you're in your corporal form. Mm-hmm. Stay with me here. This is going to be weird. Okay. You are contained. Right. Like you have a brain. It's electricity, right? But like if you're saying that Debatable you make a brain. With yeah. Dawn. If you're making a choice and it immediately changes space time continuum, mm-hmm. does that mean that it's all connected? That we're all connected in some way? No, it's just the it's the butterfly effect. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction, Ken. So me saying something on this podcast, like I could manifest time travel into existence by simply mentioning that I want to go travel back in time to tell myself time travel is real. That could be a thing that it but, didn't. But, but that's the thing. Is saying it just enough? Uh, well, no, you have to do it. Yeah. It's actions, not just words. But I suppose he did resolve in that moment not to do it. And then that means in the future that yeah. he wouldn't do it. Yeah. It's, it's the lack of actions in his case. So yeah, our actions have consequences. And if we don't act, that equally has consequences. Which is the reason, Ken, sometimes not acting at all is just as important as acting. You mentioned Goob there. I think Kid Goob is amazing. He's so neurotic and it's a brilliant natural performance by Matthew Justin, who's obviously a an adult now but uh, I think that's one of the things I liked about this film the dialogue was quirky it was funny and the kids performance in it were, were very natural yeah uh, as I said a goob is very likable which is the reason I root for him because yeah. this kid is ruining his life and he just wants to have a decent night's sleep and he has those giant bags under his eyes and no one mentions the giant bags under his eyes and it feels like and these are like, orphans uh, that should come up it's like why are you so tired all the time goob <laughs> and the lady that runs the orphanage is like I know I know here's some coffee <laughs> poor that's goob not, that's child abuse yeah goob is abused here again go back to the central theme that Goob is the hero of this story trying to take down the egomaniacal villain who one created the hat that's destroying the world so once again who's at fault here Ken Goob for be, uh, falling under the influence of the manipulative hat or Lewis for inventing the manipulative hat in the first place and it, inventing the villain of Goob yeah so he's he, like Lewis has invented both of the villains in this film thus being the actual villain of the film this is essentially at its core a time travel movie so this is Disney doing timey wibey wibbly wobbly nonsense yeah and like it's one of those films that if you poke at it for like a half second it does probably fall apart but I'm I'm not one of those people the people yeah. like your time travel doesn't make sense it's like no time travel makes sense we don't know how time travel works it's not real and so I, time I, travel can work in many different ways if we actually invent time travel who knows how it'll work yeah the basic premise is that he creates his own success by creating it 
Mm. So which where did it come from? Yeah. He sees all of the things in the future and eventually makes them, but did he make them because he saw them in the future? Did he see them in the future because he made them? Yeah. Just chicken and the egg problem again. Yeah. He only does it because he's seen it. Like and you know, he has self confidence problems and you know, the fact that he's seen his future gives him the confidence to do it. Yeah. So like if you poke at it for a minute and like stuff like why didn't Goo just use the time machine to catch the ball? All those no, things. No, no, he's explained that. Yeah. It's a perfectly rationale that he wants to ruin somebody's life. <laughs> he's just a petty adult yeah. uh, who's bitter. But he wants yeah. revenge. He does he has as I said, he doesn't want to fix it. He wants revenge and also to make himself rich because he also wants Lewis's life at the same time. That's the reason he's trying to steal his invention and become rich. Yeah, and you know, as a fan of Doctor Who, time travel, even if it's really well-reasoned, really thought out, there's, there's always, always going to be hope. Because t- again, time travel not real, Ken. But I think that's the appeal of it and the fun because it raises those questions and it creates those thought experiments. I think that's really interesting. That's why I like time travel. Like at the end of the film, when Adult Lewis returns and he's like, ah, oh, Wilbur, why'd you do it? It's like, should have known why you did it you yeah. experienced it and then like, there's that doctor who thing of when they go back into their own time machine they don't remember but he does remember it yeah, because like, he does it because he would have experienced it adult lewis would have already done all of this whatever it is 40 years prior i don't think they state the timeline it doesn't look like 40 even that's like 30 like, probably yeah he's probably in his 30s but then he has a lot of kids for his, th- well, his kids 13 he's so. probably in his 40s yeah good, good point he's probably late 30s early 40s and he's like oh wilbur shakes his finger it's like you should have known all this is going to happen but i guess maybe the reason he's not there is that he does know it's all going to happen and he needs to stay oh, yeah, out of the way stay out of the events yeah but then he shows his past self around his lab and it's like should he be interacting with his past self doctor who says no mm. and there's also the the question of like his his, his mantra can keep moving forward does, where does that come from he, that's the thing he like, learns it in the future he learns it from himself in the future and it becomes a thing that spurs him forward but then he only learns it because he goes to the future so like yeah if you think about these things for long enough it makes your mind spin. they're paradoxes which is like again people are like time travel I, I don't care like tell me your story i think about their, their most of their time travel makes sense it like all time travel really needs to have is an internal logic like if you set a set of rules you cannot break those rules that's all there those are the only rules the only rules for time travel and filmmaking are the rules you set yourself yeah and i think there's some really nice messages in this through the medium of, of time travel you know there's questions of self-doubt and addressing that and you know we can only embrace our our future by accepting our past and not letting it define you there's some like really nice messages i think they're reaching for something deeper that they haven't done in the last few films since lead on stitch i think well i think Chicken, chicken, little tried. As we said, it just sped through everything and didn't let anything land, or or didn't spend enough time with anything for it to to sink in. Even Treasure Planet tried as well, though that it had that deeper, like lack of a father figure relationship. Which I think this film kind of has a similar idea that Lewis is lacking more than a father figure. He doesn't have parents, and that's what spurs many of his actions. Yeah, that, like I'm going to talk about this when we're talking at the end, wrapping up about the the films of the post Renaissance as we slowly tick our way towards the renaissance 3.0 um the new renaissance i call it but isn't isn't like wasn't the original renaissance the like the post-war films with like cinderella <laughs> what they call the golden era of animation ah, all right fair enough so yeah renaissance 2.0 then or we're ripping off pixar <laughs> acquiring her. Uh, but yeah, we'll talk about that in the end. But I, I think these films usually tried for something, and this did too. And I think it mostly got there. But a story of a self, as you said, self doubt. There's some like predestination stuff in there. Uh, petty vengeance, which is my favorite kind of story. <laughs> In fairness, like, we know where it's going to land in the end. He says it throughout the film, but he ignores it because he's so blind with rage. But then 
when it really sinks in is like what am i doing and like in the end he decides to go away and work on himself rather than let wilbur save him but even then he doesn't go away and work on himself because that character as we know it doesn't exist anymore yeah because lewis helped him make the catch in the end because lewis helped him catch the ball and presumably he got adopted and lived a happy life where he doesn't go bald in his 40s maybe fingers go, crossed <laughs> maybe they go bowling together once in a while they're friends in the future now yeah so like that version the, the version of the character we saw walk away at the end of the film is gone like four minutes later when uh lewis intervenes which means like the bit where he walks away as an adult that doesn't make much sense given what they do after that well he doesn't have any choice in those actions like that's him being like all right i gotta move on with my life but then typical lewis can't leave goob alone complex yeah goob like he just wiped that version of goob out of existence all the stuff that he learned like he came full circle he learned his lesson and and lewis is like nope gonna ruin that too yeah lewis just cannot leave poor goob alone again goob hero of the story moving forward to the music and the scorecard Danny Elfman of Nightmare Before Christmas fame or Oingo Boingo if you were born in the 80s those are really the two reference points you have for Danny Elfman they did the theme song for Weird Science that's a, a famous 80s kids movie not like teen movie the Batman theme song or what's what's Danny Elfman's arguably most famous theme song Ken it's Weird Science Ken no it's probably the Simpsons uh, Ken Weird Science <laughs> okay <laughs> Oingo Boingo, which is a terrible but also great name for a band. Yeah, I, I actually thought the score was more noticeable than... That's no, very good. Well, yeah. It's actually very good. It's, it's, it's one of those emotionally affecting ones because you have Danny frickin' Elfman doing it as opposed to some goob. <laughs> yeah, and now that I think about it, it actually shares a little bit of DNA with Nightmare Before Christmas. It has a slightly similar feel. The man certainly has a musical style. Yeah. I like- I'm actually very upset because the, the Snyder Cut came out this weekend. And, and very, very famously, not famously, but the original Justice League was scored by Danny Elfman which is the reason I'm bringing it up. And there's a great moment in that film where Danny Elfman uses the John Williams Superman theme in a way that's subversive when Superman comes back to life in Justice League and he plays like a, a weird off-key distorted version of the iconic John Williams Superman theme and it tells you that something's wrong with Superman. And it's a really cool, nuanced, understated moment and they've taken it out of the Snyder Cut and just used generic bad Superman themes. And I'm like, ugh, this is why this film is bad. Yeah, no subtlety at all in that film from what I've heard. No, they, they, they do not do nuance. I mean, it's, it's fine. It's a, it's a perfectly fine four-hour film. The songs and soundtrack are really reflective of the sound of the mid-2000s, with a, a lot of big names, including the Joe Burrows and Rob Thomas. Is, are Joe Burrows in the film, or are they just credits? Just cre- just right at, yeah, just credits, I think. Yeah, I was like, I didn't recognise a Joe Burrows song in this film, but that's because they're in the credits. It's that Kids of the Future one. It's kind of uh, that Kids in America riff that they did. I actually liked a lot of the songs in this movie. I, I think they're more made to sell a soundtrack than to integrate into the movie. But again, much like Chicken Little the placement was good like the song at the start sets the scene for what kind of kid Lewis is and the song at the end Little Wonders it's a nice little poignant moment that wraps up the story when he gets adopted I think Little Wonders is the only original song isn't it? I'm not 100% certain but I I do think that uh, song Another Believer does fit really well at the start Yeah it's Rufus Wainwright Rufus Wainwright Hard name to say I I, I avoided it for that reason Yeah because instinctively because of the Rufus Rufus and Wright you go like Rufus Wainwright You either go Rufus Wainwright or Rufus Rain right, <laughs> neither of which are right. No. Um, but yeah, he did two songs in the film, both of which are quite good. Yeah, very enjoyable themes, very enjoyable songs, very enjoyable score, and an attempt to use music as an emotional punctuation again. So we're seeing them again, like we talked about Bolt being like the precursor to the new Renaissance and Princess and the Frog being the start. But there are signs that they're moving back in that direction in this movie. Yeah, and as you said, it's not as I said, the Suicide Squad levels of bad of just like, here's some popular songs. It's not even like, like that was the Chicken Little problem 
problem as well a little bit where it's just like Spice Girls sure whereas I don't think this film has that problem it's like we want to put the song that fits here not just the song that's popular yeah the song fits what we're trying to do but also we've made some songs that are for the movie god forbid there's not a huge amount in terms of the legacy of this film it was a major flop at the time there's not much on the internet much like Chicken Little John Astor cancelled a planned Disney Toon sequel when he took over as creative head at Disney Animation killed me he really hated this film didn't he again i think this is a good candidate for a live action reboot uh yeah especially in like 2021 where you could have you know you you, the the, as we were mentioning the cgi is caught up so you could do the imaginative stuff and have it look good as opposed to if you were trying to make a live action version of this film in 2007 it would probably age quite badly in terms of cgi would have looked like spy kids yeah it would have looked like spy kids this this film does bolster the the legacy of treasure planet though of course because they just flat out reuse the ben character model <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like literally cut and place Ben from even like the voice sounds a little bit like Martin Short. Yeah. Maybe that's intentional. I don't know. Yeah. I, I can't remember the name of the comedian. It's Harland something that does uh, the voice. You know his face. He's in a lot of things around that time, but like, you don't see him doing as much anymore. But yeah, Ben could be. Um, what's the name of that robot in this? Uh, I don't even know. What's that? Uh, Carl? I think it's Carl. Something like that. Yeah, he could be his dad. Yeah, maybe or his, his granddad, or his long lost son. Maybe the adventures of this take is place this before cin- Treasure Planet. Is this a cinematic universe, Gar? Maybe um, the guy from Treasure Planet is from, and uh, maybe Jim Hawkins is secretly a Robinson. His hair isn't quiffed though, so I guess not. Yeah. Overall, what are your thoughts on Meet the Robinsons? I think this. Even films like Treasure Planet, films like Chicken Little, and we'll watch Bolt next week. They remind me a lot of the films that led into the original Disney Renaissance. You know, the Oliver and Companies, the Great Mouse Detectives, the Rescuers. Like, those kind of, like, really good, solid, enjoyable, but not top-tier Disney films that, like, sparked the flame that led to The Little Mermaid and led to Beauty and the Beast and led to The Lion King. So I I think you actually, you do see, like, the DNA of the better films in these films. Even looking at Brother Bear... Obviously, Lilo and Stitch is an all-timer, but uh, everything else in this period, there were only like, like I would have said three or four real duds. Like there's Home on the Range, there's Dinosaur, and there's Fantasia 2000, which I think are all just dud duds. Emperor's New Groove, which is mediocre. And actually, I think this film in many ways does the kind of humor that Emperor's New Groove tries to do a lot better. That kind of irreverent. Yeah, a lot of the jokes landed and I, I laughed a lot at this film. Yeah, this film is much funnier than Emperor's New Groove uh, and much less cynically funny as well. It's it's more earnestly funny. Yeah, it does. It still does that kind of referential and like offbeat and like just wacky humor where it's like, oh, like the frog talk and they do frog things and they're mafia and they're trying to kill people and they throw the mini hat into the back of the car and shut yeah they, they whack mini doors <laughs> yeah and like it does have that like off kilter that just like out there without context humor that i think emperor's new groove tried to have too but i think it does it better than emperor's new groove so yeah very similar to those films that we saw in the 80s that led to the classics in the 90s i think the, the films we've been watching both this week last week and over the last couple of weeks and next week again with bolt before we lead into princess and the frog which is widely regarded as like the the restart of the boom period a film i don't remember liking watching the first time so i'll be interested do i agree do i agree is it the kickoff of the boom period or is it actually tangled which my case is it's actually tangled but we'll see am i wrong about that ken um so yeah that that's what i think the legacy of this film is it's like the the little baby steps toward disney being real good again but it's it's so fascinating to think of like this and treasure planet were flops like right offs and we talked about for home and range writing down the debt yeah like like just like actual flops and like fair enough there was john carter during the years these years 
as well. A similar like Disney made flop. But it's very weird. Like, Disney don't make flops anymore. They just don't. Like all of their animated oh, films they, are they, hits. They, their they, Pixar films are hits. Their Marvel films are hits. Their Star Wars films, even if people hate them, are hits. I think the argument there is that they don't really take many risks anymore. They they go with a very specific formula and rinse and repeat it. Hmm. And I'm uh, like maybe we go back to like what's the the one defining feature of the films post Tarzan? Three D. Not even three D. The majority of them are originals. Yeah. Or true. or like loosely inspired by even Treasure Planet, which is obviously based off Treasure Island, yeah. is only loosely based off Treasure Island. Even yeah. this, which is based off a day with Wilbur Robinson, is only very loosely based off of that book. Takes the characters pretty much. That's it. So like if we this is an era of Disney where they are making more and more original content, and they kind of stop doing that as they go back to Tangled, which is a Rapunzel. They go back to their like tried and true. They go back to their fairy tales. They go back to their princess stories, and then they go back. Superheroes to are the new princesses. Yeah, mm-hmm. and Big Hero Six, where they go back to their superheroes. So it's it's interesting that like the era in which they probably did try to be quote unquote most original, they revealed their own like lack of originality and suffered for it. I think this film is very earnest in the way they made it mm. and it shows. But the only thing is that at the end where he goes to meet his mother and he decides, you know, if he does meet his mother, he'll actually change the family that he'll have in the future, yes. most likely. So he decides not to. And that moment almost got me. I, I got I felt a sense of wedding, but it didn't quite land in the mm. way that previous films did. So I feel like it's tiptoeing up to what a Disney film can be, but it didn't quite get there. But at the same time, I think that the way it's made and like it's interesting. I think in the years to come, like the, the Generation Z or the generation just below that will come to embrace this film because at its core it's about being supportive, choosing your family, letting your freak flag fly in, and being supportive for who you are and, and what makes you different, you know. So I, I think there's a lot of really positive things in there and it makes me want to watch that film again. I had a great time and I, I want to go back to that world. I was just thinking there as you mentioned it, that moment where he decides not to meet his mother. Cynically, you could think he just reasoned out the logic of that moment because if he did meet his mother, then his ride home would have disappeared and he would have been trapped in the past. So... True. Though actually, it, it, that moment does kind of redeem Wilbur a lot. Not only because he's willing to basically give up his own existence to, to let his, his dad meet his, his grandmom. That's a weird sentence to put together. But also, like like earlier in the film when Wilbur is like, I'm not going to let you meet... I lied to him about letting him meet his mother. There's a very good reason for that. Yeah. Because all of this will wipe out of existence if he does. So it's not like, you know, him being selfish or him being deceitful. Wilbur is like, I gotta protect my family. Um, we'll all disappear if he meets them, uh, his or mother be altered in some way you know Wilbur in particular because the robot uh, future Ben hmm. uh, tells him that there's a, like a 99.9% chance he won't exist so like the circumstances might be the same he might still be a you know a rich and famous inventor but Wilbur might be dust he might be snapshot as we said earlier so yeah so, uh, but as I said going back to Lewis is the real villain of this film it was just a very cynical judgment call from Lewis being like oh wait if I meet her the dude in the time machine next to me will disappear and I'll be trapped here so I can't meet her and I may or may not have my million dollar empire yeah so again Lewis bad guy in this film goob good guy love goob love a bit of goob All right, Disney Imagineers, we've nearly come to the end of the show for another week. Resident musical expert Nicole is coming up in just a few moments with a song from Meet the Robinsons. She's put together something very special this week, so don't you dare miss it after the credits. New episodes of Magic by Design land every Monday, where all magical podcasts are downloaded. Stop by our website at magicbydesign.buzzsprout.com to find a full list of podcast providers. You can find us literally everywhere. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon, YouTube, you name it, we're on it. You can't avoid us. I think it's just on me. I never said, I like this movie. It's a good movie. Go watch it. Yeah. <laughs> I was too busy focusing on Goob to tell you I think the movie is good. Yeah, it's a very Goob movie. It is. 
Very well played, Ken. Do you agree with our assessment of Meet the Robinsons, or do you disagree entirely? Let us know by joining the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash magicbydesignpod, on Twitter at magicdesignpod, and on Insta at magicbydesignpod. If you're a fan of what we're doing here and want to support the show, please do consider giving us a review on your podcast platform of choice. Five stars, please. You can also consider sharing on your socials or recommend the show to a fellow Disney fan. If you don't give us a five-star review you could alter the course of history so better safe than sorry yeah do it it's a, or go if you if you real if you're listening to this like years later and you haven't done it and again time travel exists <laughs> travel back in time to when we released the episode and give us a five-star review because we might be dead by the time you listen to this that's the weird thing about yeah. it though i suppose once you die you might stop paying for the podcast hosting <laughs> and, and they'll pull they, it down they'll yeah. pull it down but the youtube versions will still exist unless youtube blows up we will be back next week at the same time same place with a review of disney's 48th animated feature bolt but until then stay safe and remember all you have to do is just keep moving forward or just build time machines and go back and fix all your problems that seems easier we promised you a musical treat and the time has come nicole is here with a gorgeous cover of little wonders from meet the robinsons thanks for listening now take us home nicole hello there my disney fans it is i your musical correspondent nicole coming to you live from my bedroom this week we're on our best behavior as we Meet the Robinsons. The soundtrack is basically an eclectic album featuring rock, pop and jazz by the pop rock group The Jonas Brothers, American-Canadian singer-songwriter Rufus Wainwright, Matchbox 20 lead singer Rob Thomas, British jazz pop singer Jamie Cullum, rock band The All-American Rejects and alt-rock band They Might Be Giants. Former frontman of band Oingo Boingo Danny Elfman wrote the score for the movie, known for writing the theme tune for The Simpsons. He also wrote the score for The Nightmare Before Christmas and voiced the part of Jack. And he also wrote the score for Flubber, a classic. They Might Be Giants sing the song There's a Great Big Beautiful Tomorrow. The song was written by Richard and Robert Sherman for The Carousel of Progress, one of four attractions Walt Disney and his Imagineers developed for the 1964 New York World's Fair. Kids of the Future is sung by the Jonas Brothers. It's an adapted version of the classic 80s song Kids in America by British singer Kim Wilde. Little Wonders is sung by Rob Thomas and it features at the end of the movie and was released as a single. It peaked at number 5 in the US Top 40. Rob Thomas revealed on April 1st, 2017 via his Facebook that the song Little Wonders was written about him and his wife Marisol's first dog Tyler who was born on that same date. I've been messing around a lot with using my accent with pop songs recently so I thought I'd give it a go with this one. I think it works. Here's my version of Little Wonders. I hope you enjoy it. Let it go, let it roll right off your shoulder, don't you know? The hardest part is over, let it in. Let your clarity define you in the end. We only just remember how it feels. Our lives are made. These small hours, these 
these little wonders, these twists and turns of fate, time falls away. These small hours, these small hours still remain. Let it slide. Let your troubles fall behind you, let it shine Until you feel it all around you And I don't mind If it's me you need to turn to, we'll get by It's the heart that really matters in the end Our lives are made in these small hours these little wonders, all these twists and turns of fate, time falls away. These small hours, these small hours still remain. All of my regret will wash away somehow, but I cannot forget the way I feel right. These small hours, these little wonders, these twists and turns of fate, all these twists and turns of fate, time falls away. These small hours, these small hours still remain. All these twists and turns of age, time falls away. These small hours, these little wonders, still 